Thank you so much for giving yourself a round of applause because you deserve it. Thank you for every person that brought your kids out to have a great time and also volunteered. You may have bought candy if you couldn't be there, so thank you so much. If you saw that video, uh, I didn't find that bug in the kitchen, thank God. And it wasn't in my kitchen that I found it either. But there was one little girl. She goes, I already know what that is. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> I had some uh, hissing cockroaches that I did purchase at the pet store and brought them in. And we talked about overcoming fear. You know, there's so much of that in our society. And it's almost like we um, celebrate fear in certain sense as a community, as a society this time of the year. I don't believe God wants to celebrate fear. I believe he wants to celebrate faith. So yesterday we talked about, uh, we said we're going from fear factor to faith factor. Can anybody handle that this morning? Amen. Amen. And a lot of young people really, really were touched. I think we had somewhere close to 20 children that raised their hand for salvation. So we give God praise for that. Amen. That is wonderful, absolutely wonderful, and that was the last session of the day that you saw there, so that was the emptiest session, but we had four sessions, and I mean, God really ministered to people's hearts, and I originally was going to get a tarantula for that message, and I saw it crawling around, and I said, there's no way I'm holding that, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, to be honest with you, the pet store clerk, he told me that if I accidentally dropped the tarantula, it was heavy enough that it could go splat on the floor, and I said, that's not good for a room full of kids. I could see kids crawling on top of each other to get out of the room, and mothers screaming, and so we didn't do that. I promise we didn't do that. But we had a really great day yesterday, and God ministered to a lot of hearts. You just never know who you're ministering to when you reach out to a child. It could be your future doctor. It could be uh, your grandchildren's or great-grandchildren's future uh, employer, <laughs> teacher, professional. It might be the police officer that'll pull you over one day, and, and you better hope. Remember when I gave you that candy at Trinity Gospel Temple and Cathedral of Life? On uh, the fall fest, and you can cross your fingers hoping they'll let you go. <laughs> you just never know, but we want to we bless our kids. Today, I'm going to continue in a series that I started uh, not long ago called Secular Theology, and I'm going to break down some of the worldly concepts and wisdoms that seem to be pervading in the church, but I guess you could also give this a name called... Um, Keep the keys or don't lose the keys. This week, I'm driving a new vehicle for the inn. It's a transportation vehicle, and it's what we use to transport residents to and from doctor's appointments and uh, to stores or to other appointments, various miscellaneous things that they need to go to. And so a lot of our clientele is very established, and uh, we serve the upper class generally with our assisted living center, and with it, we're able to capture revenues, and those revenues we're able to give back to the community, right? So it's a minister. We minister to the people that are there, and with the money that we have, the profits, we also give back. But we have a really nice car to transport them, and this car has a key fob that starts the vehicle, and you don't have to put the key. Has anybody seen those keys now? You don't actually have to insert the key or start it. You just press a button when you get into the car. So I reversed out of my driveway, and I realized I hadn't got the mail in two days. So I rolled the window down, and it sits lower to the ground. So I reached out 
I got most of the mail into the car, but there was still just a little bit of mail there. So I opened the door to get my mail. When I opened the door to get my mail, the key fob that was in my pocket fell out. Now, here's what you need to know is that whoever engineered the street put the storm drain right under my mailbox, directly below my mailbox. I really want to talk to the people that did that. I know why the mailbox is there because it's our property line between me and my neighbor, who's a wonderful state trooper. And uh, yeah, he's great. I just want you to know he's got two big Dobermans, so don't mess with our houses, okay? <laughs> but I really want to know who decided to put the storm drain underneath our mailboxes. And, and don't you know, I look down. And there in the storm drain is, you can see it, it's just shining, just shining in the water and the light down there. And, and uh, I'm like, I got to get my car quick. Hopefully I can get it back into the driveway. Well, if you're a certain amount of separation away from the key and the vehicle, you can't go anywhere. So my car's stuck right there beside the storm drain in the middle of the street with the key inside. So I start bearing down to get this storm drain up. And in my weakness, he's made strong, but I was not strong. <laughs> God uses the weak things of the world to confound the strong, and I'm just going to go ahead and claim that that's me, and I don't really love to claim that, but we're in church, so I need to speak the honest truth, right? So Hunter comes over, and he brings the back of a TV mount. You know, he's very creative. And so he pulled up, pulled up the storm drain. And he goes, you know what? You're going to have to get down in there. So it was, I, I was glad that I didn't have those big muscles because if they were so big like Hunter, I, you know, I wouldn't fit inside of the storm drain. But I got down in the storm drain, you know, and you're, you're, you're like this, and you're reaching down. And of course, my neighbor walks out of his house right then. You know, normally he's at work, but he had to walk out at that moment. And I got it and climbed out. And we go to put the storm drain, the, I guess you would call it like the rack uh, that sits on top of the storm drain. We go to put it back in. I'm not saying any names, but his initials are Hunter Fowler. <laughs> Puts the storm drain, and it just misses where it's supposed to lock in, just, just shy of missing it. Falls inside of the storm drain. Falls down into the storm drain. I looked at Hunter, and I looked down, and I looked at Hunter, and I looked down, and I said, I'm not getting that. <laughs> no way. There's two reasons I'm not getting that. One, I don't want to. Two, I can't. <laughs> Trying to pull that up, it weighs more than I do, okay? It, it literally weighs as much as I do. And uh, they, they came out. I had to put a wheelbarrow on top because all I could see in my head was, was dogs running on their leash and then just, you know, <laughs> it's gone. Where's Fido? He's in the storm drain, taking the ride of his life. I don't know where he went, but he's enjoying the ride. <laughs> you know, and I could just see like other people taking a, taking a stroll and like, where's grandma? I'm down here. You know, like, are you still there? You know, it's like, it's, like, it's like Daniel, you know, when they came and they rolled back the stone. You still in there, Dan? I'm here! <laughs> you know, or, the, or worse, which is the most probable of all of them, somebody's really having a great day, they're getting home from work, and their tire locks, 
you know, like deep down, and you just can't, you can't, what are you going to do, lift the whole car up out of there? I was seeing all of these horrible simulations in my head, so we put the wheelbarrow over it. I called the city. I didn't, I didn't tell them everything. You know, I don't think you have to tell people everything. I just don't. I don't, I believe that you could tell them as much as you want to, right? And, and so I said to them, I went out of my house and... It's true, I did go out of my house, and I found the storm drain cover in the storm drain. I didn't do it, and I wasn't watching when it was done. When I turned around, the storm drain was in there. Hunter tried to do it on his own. He didn't ask for my help. I don't know why. I don't know why. Probably because I was the guy that locked my keys in there. So I told him, it's in there, and I think it's dangerous. I personally can't get it out. They said, we'll cover it. We'll handle it. I came home. There's my wheelbarrow still there on top of it with three cones. I was like, I love how the city works. They fixed it. Three cones does it. <laughs> the next day, there really was the storm drain. It was back to normal. The grate has a few more, you know, marks, you know, I guess love, character that it had before. Um, but it's sitting there and it's, and it's safe. But God planted this idea inside of me that don't lose the keys, and I walked in this morning, and I had my keys in my hand. Somebody reached out there. Lance reached out his hand to give me a, a, a shake hello, and I'm putting my keys in my pocket. I said, hold on. And, and I, I shook his hand, and he said, you don't want to lose those. I was like, actually, you have no idea. You don't want to lose the keys, and that's one of the names. I have two names. I'm just extra for my message today. Don't lose the keys. I, I don't want you to lose the keys. Jesus gave us the keys, and I'm throwing my friend in the, in the booth, uh, Miss Yvonne, a loop, because I'm going to go to a scripture I didn't give her. I gave her five scriptures, and this isn't one of them. But I want you to go to um, Matthew, actually, if you can. And this is on my phone. We're, I'm actually, you know what, you don't have to go there. I'll just quote it. How's that? So Peter looks at Jesus, and he says, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He said, who, who do you say that? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He says, that's right, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, Peter, he says his name meant Petro, and he says, on this rock, Petrus, the rock of revelation, I will build my church. The church is ecclesia. Ecclesia is, is where we convene, amen? It's, it's wherever we are. It's not the facility. It's wherever we are. And he says this. He says, um, I will give you the keys to the kingdom, amen? I'll give you the keys. We've been given the keys to the kingdom, but we don't know how to use them, and some of us have forgotten that they're there for us to use, and God wants to remind us that we have the authority to open the doors. And we have authority in our neighborhoods. We have authority in our communities. And we need to take positions of authority. We need to uh, elect and select the board of education who reflects our values. We need local community centers and city councils that reflect our values. We need senators and representatives that reflect our values. We need to say, I'm unlocking the opportunity for God to reflect his wisdom inside of the courthouse, inside of the state house, inside of the legislature, inside of what's going on in our children's schools. Amen? You have the power and you have a voice. Sometimes we've forgotten that 
But I think that we're losing a little bit of the battle, and I'm going to speak quickly this morning because Pew Research came out with a couple statistics that I really want to read quickly. The U.S. decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace. The religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip is what it says. Pew Research Center in the telephone survey conducted in 2018 and 2019 says 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians. That's down from 20% two generations ago. When asked about their religion, that's down 12% over the past 10 years. The past 10 years alone. Meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated share of the population consisting of people who describe their religion's identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular now stands at 26%, up from 17% in 2009. Currently, 43% of U.S. adults identify with Protestantism, down from 51% in 2009. And one in five are Catholic, down from 23% in 2009. When we're asked, and from weddings and funerals, how often do you attend religious services? More than once a week, once a week, once or twice a month, or a few times a year, seldom or never. It's one or two times a month is down 7%. And the same is up 7% reflected in those who seldom, if ever, attend. There is a pervading doctrine, a secular theological doctrine, that you don't have to go to church if you're a Christian. You don't need church if you're a Christian. The idea is out there, if I go and I witness, I'm a Christian. I meet a lot of people, I'm a Christian, I just don't need church. People have been burned by church. They call it organized religion. But you know what? God is in the movement of people that agree together. Because you know what my Bible says? My Bible says, if one or two are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. He says, where one can chase a thousand, two can chase 10,000. There's power in the agreement, in the prayer of agreement. There is synergy that gives us exponential authority when we're unified. The fact the Bible says a threefold cord is not easily broken. When the saints are together on an issue, we can make waves. Amen? And it's true that you don't have to go to church to get to heaven. But there's a lot of things that I don't have to do to get to heaven. I don't just want to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. I don't just want to get to heaven just barely getting by. I don't want to be like those that are cramming for the finals. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. I know that I can get there. I want to live my best life. I had a friend of mine who was given a vision by God, and he saw this modern graveyard. He said that the tombstones that were erected above the deceased looked like, they looked like television screens, monitors, and holograms. And he said, here lies the anointing of this individual, and that individual, and this individual. And then it shows why they became deceased. In his vision, he said the majority of it was sexual sin. But he said all these anointings were dead in the graveyard because the people of God didn't recognize their calling and live out the sanctification of a lifestyle that is devoted unto God, holy and acceptable as those workers seeking to approve themselves of God. And often we think my decisions are only affecting me. And, and they're not affecting anyone else. 
But let me tell you, if you're not living out your fullest potential and the anointing that God's given you, then you're missing out and others are missing out too. They're missing out on the hand that will pray for them. Church, this week, we need to go out and tell one person about Jesus. Every person in here needs to go out and tell one person, Jesus loves you. And the worst you're going to get is a bad look. The worst you're going to get is somebody who says, I don't have time for this right now. Or you'll, you'll find out, like I did last week, I talked to somebody. She said, I used to believe that. I don't believe that anymore. The hurts and the stings and the challenges of life have left some walking away like those weeds that came up and clouded the seed that God planted. But it says that some water and others plant. How many know you might not be the one that wins them, but you get it. You get the blessing and the glory just the same according to the book of Galatians. And, and Paul says it's not you that does it, it's the Holy Spirit. So you're just facilitating a way for the Holy Spirit to come on in there, to be a part of the conversation. Maybe you're saying, I don't know if I can share my faith. Well, pray for somebody. That's just as good. Ask, how can I pray for you? Sometimes if we say, uh, can I pray for you? They'll say no. But if you ask the question phrased in that way, how can I pray for you? They, it makes you think, well, how, how can you pray for me? Well, I, we were in the state house with... Um, one of the representatives that represents our district. And we couldn't meet with that individual because they were inside of, of a caucus meeting. And uh, it, it went longer than it was supposed to. But we were given the privilege and the opportunity to meet with their staffer, their aide. We asked them, how can we pray for you? And uh, she said, well, just pray for the office. Just pray for us here and pray that we'll get the budget right. Uh, how many know that it's good to have uh, aides and representatives and senators who are saying, yeah, pray for us as we set the budget. That's a good thing. Lord knows we need to get our money in balance and stop spending what we don't have. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, God doesn't want his people living in debt. He doesn't want us to live under the mortgage uh, of debt. There's things that we use as leverage for business. That's a different story. But I'm talking about the crippling debt that you can't get out of and you can't provide for yourself. God wants to, God wants to heal financial needs. And I'm just going to take a quick moment to say that, church, you've done that in the last week. You've helped two families stay in their home in the last two weeks. As our church, that we're going to lose their church grandparents that are raising grandchildren. You're making that possible when we come together. If the church wasn't meeting like this, we wouldn't have the funds to be able to do that in our community because you wouldn't have a little thing I call collaboration. The church needs to convene for collaboration purposes. I'm going to really tear it up here in just a minute, so you're going to have to listen fast. But I believe that we come together for Christ and the cross, the presence of Jesus that floods our lives and floods us. You know, so many people, you ask them where they get saved. Most people that you ask probably will tell you in a church, in a facility where the church meets. Let me say it like that. But we come together for Christ and the cross. Number two, we come together for community and connection. Because when I'm in a valley of life, I'm going to need you to pull me through when you're in the mountain place. And it's going to be vice versa. Because life flows like this. It says, Lord, let us have life and have it more abundantly, right? Life's like this, isn't it? And if I have it more abundantly, pastor has taught, that means it's way up and way down sometimes. 
I need you and you need me. We need connection because inside of connection and community is something called accountability. And I, I didn't used to believe that every Christian had to go to church. I'm going to be honest. I'm, my family's from, there's a family of pastors. I didn't believe that until I started watching my friends who stopped going to church. And little by little, they started telling me that they were getting into alcoholism. Uh, I saw people that were in, unfaithful to their spouse. I've seen things that, that eventually, even many of them even said, I don't even know if that's real or not. Because the enemy has so distracted them with the cares of this life that they can't see the truth. And church provides us with something called conviction. It provides us, when we're living wrong and we come to church and we hear the pastor speak, he may not even be speaking on anything that we're dealing with, but suddenly the Holy Spirit is going, I'm knocking, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I want your best life for you. I don't want you to endure the pain that sin brings you. I want you to live you your best life now. If you hear me do that little hiccup thing, it's because I forget to, I'm so passionate I forget to breathe. <laughs> Number four, it, we, I, it said confession. James chapter five says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. That means inside and out. I believe that God wants us through the, through the process of confession. That doesn't mean you come to a pastor or a priest in order to do that. But it, it, there is something to be said about people that come in and we say, I, I must confess in order to be accountable to you. Accountability happens when, when I confess. It's not that I have to go through the intermediation of a priest. I don't, I don't get atonement for coming to pastor. You don't get atonement for talking to me about your sin. You get atonement for confessing to God. And then if we confess one to another, there is a healthy set-aside portion of accountability that brings healing and deliverance to our lives. And I said this, Christ and the cross, number one. Number two, community and connection. Number three, connect. we said conviction and confession. And number four, collaboration, we said. Let me say this. The church is not a facility, but the church is what facilitates the work of God. The church is not a facility, but it, it is who. The church is who facilitates the work of God. The church is not a building, but the church is for the building up of each other. We're called to build each other up. We're called to encourage each other. We're called to make a difference. The church is not a location, but the church must be able to locate one another. Amen? Amen? Amen. Because we serve God together. We break bread together. We come for communion together. The church is not a service, but the church must be prepared to service the needs of our community. To service those who are in need. And in so, we give to the physical being of someone and then we're able to provide for their spiritual well-being. In fact, James says true religion is feeding the orphan and the widow, clothing them. Because that I can't feed somebody spiritually if I haven't met their physical needs. If they don't feel safe, if they don't feel loved, if they don't feel secure. And honestly, how much do I really care about somebody's spiritual well-being if I don't care about them themselves? Their physical well-being themselves as well. God wants us to, to, to understand his purchase for us, his grace for us, and we've got to meet together to fully function as his body, understanding where we fit. Hebrews 10, go there with me really fast. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. I'm going to read this to you. And let us consider 
one another in order to stir up love and good works. When I'm with you and you're with me, it says iron sharpens iron. You know, if, if, I, if I start hitting the wrong place, then it makes it dull. If, if I come to hit you instead of make you stronger, then I'm hitting the wrong place. But if we encourage each other, we become sharper. And where we hit, we hit the mark. We're able to do more damage to the gates of hell. And they shall not prevail against us because we're in collaboration and it is not forsaking, verse 25, the assembling of ourselves together, the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day is the day that he'll return. The day is the day that Jesus is coming back. I know you're in church today. I know that. But maybe I caught you on the one Sunday in the two months that you didn't, you're able to be here. And I want to say, look at how much time our schools have with our kids. They've got seven to eight hours a day, and they've got five times a week. They're getting almost 40 hours a week, and then they come home, and, and a lot of parents are working so hard that they turn on the television. When's the last time you saw godly values in a sitcom? It's not often. I see so many times that, that the world is, is constantly living together in our sitcoms and in our dramas, and, and, and that's not the way that God wants us to do things. He wants us to commit to each other to have this covenant where we can come into a greater understanding of his passion and his love where we're devoted to one another. But we start to watch these things, live in these ways, and it begins to fold into the subconscious portions of our minds. And we begin to agree with things that we wouldn't have agreed with before because we're not in church. Church, if you want your young people to understand the Bible, we got to get our kids in every week so that they understand it from cover to cover. Biblical literacy is at the lowest rate it's been in the United States in, I would say, ever. Ever. In fact, President Trump has just endorsed, and I, I thank God for this personally, has just endorsed bills that are in Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, and Florida to allow an elective class that studies the Bible. Praise God, Praise God for that. Amen? He just endorsed it. I thank God for that. We need that in America. I don't, I don't want to be too long-winded, but I'm going to tell you really quickly. These are five things that church attendance will do for you. Yes, Making better marital sex lives is one of them, believe it or not. Association between better sleep and church attendance, according to Sleep Healthy Journal of the National Sleep Foundation, says our review and critical examination suggests that religion's involvement is indeed a social determinant of sleep in the United States, according to Dr. Torrance, DeAngelis, and Ellison. And that you can look up yourselves. So instead of reaching for the ambient, get to church Sunday morning. Number two... It will lower your risk for depression and suicide. Recent news of high-profile celebrity suicides in the skyrocketing depression and suicide rate overall. But in 2016, a study published by JAMA, J-A-M-A, psychiatry researchers found between 1996 and 2010, women and men who attended any religious service once a week were five times less likely to commit suicide and deal with depression. That's amazing, isn't it? Not saying that we don't deal with things in our Christian walk, but you're five times less likely. That's amazing. More stable, happy, and sexually satisfying marriages. 
The couple that prays together stays together, amen. According to Marriage and Religion Research Institute, adults aged 18 to 59 in an intact marriage who worshiped weekly were more likely to report, report enjoying intercourse extremely or very much with, the current sexual, uh, with their current sexual partner. That's the National Health and Social Life Survey. Number four, you have longer life. And number five, I'm not even going to read this, the actual study's results, but I'm just going to tell you and pray that you believe me. <laughs> number five, the study found that religiously active older adults tend to have lower blood pressure who are more involved in their churches and more active. Uh, how many know that's important? Yes. Amen. Amen. Don't you want that? Don't you want sexually satisfying marriages? Don't you want longer lives? Don't you want lower blood pressure? Don't you want better sleep? That, the word promises a benefit package to those of us who are involved. And I'll tell you what, I want to encourage you, church, that we haven't lost the war. It may look like we're losing this battle, but we haven't lost the culture war. And I believe that there's still time yet to make a difference. If every one of us can say, yeah, he said some pastors, some preachers, some evangelists, some apostles, some prophets, every person in this room it falls under one of those categories. You may not be in the office of one of those people, but you're still living out the characteristics. We're the body of Christ, and we need each other. Amen? Maybe I didn't speak to you. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but you can take this and say, I got to tell you, I haven't seen you in church in my section in five weeks. I want to give you the responsibility to call somebody you haven't seen in a long time. I want to give you the responsibility of knowing who's sitting beside you, saying hello, giving a hug, and asking them this week, how can I pray for you? In fact, look the person beside you right now. Look at somebody beside you right now. Say, how can I pray for you this week? Go ahead, tell them. Go ahead. We're connecting. We're collaborating. We're being community. We're being the body of Christ. We're actively serving each other. Now, it's your responsibility when you start driving home to pray for that person. I'm telling you what, God has a benefit package, and we need to know that we've got the keys. Don't forget you got the keys to open the doors of heaven. So whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in. Whatsoever you loose in earth is loosed in. Come on, church, let's pray. Stand to your feet this morning. Father God, we thank you because you've given us the keys of death, hell, and the grave. You've given us the keys to unlock joy in our neighborhoods, peace in our homes. We are saturating this community with the presence of Jesus. We loose the Prince of Peace into our school systems. We loose the joy of Jesus into our workplaces. We loose the patience of God to our traffic jams. We loose and release the presence of supernatural self-control to the addicts outside this neighborhood right now down at these motels down the street. Lord, we release Jesus and we bind the gates of hell. They shall not prevail against your church. We are the body of Christ and we thank you that we can experience Jesus in this place. If you never made a decision for Jesus, I want you to come down here and meet with us at the front today and we'll pray with you. God bless you, church. We love you. See you next week.